So today we start a new series, um, One Another, Experiencing God Together. I find it quite ironic. We just finished the five solas, the five alones, and now we're suddenly doing the togetherness. And, and I was thinking, but the Bible has got one message from beginning to end. It's not like a topics that you can make, say whatever you want, and you know, one series we do alone, and the next one we do together. It's actually, the Bible has got one, they call it a meta-narrative, one message from beginning to end that is the same. And um, I thought, okay, so, so why did we do alones and now togetherness? Um, now the alones, the five solas, is about doctrine. It's about what we believe. And we have to get our doctrine right to know what we believe. And uh, what we believe is that whatever we believe, it comes from Scripture alone. And it teaches that we are saved by faith alone. And it is in Christ alone, by grace alone. And we are saved and we live for God's glory alone. Now this togetherness, one another, it answers a completely different question. It's not about doctrine. This is more practical. This is now, okay, I'm a Christian, but how should I live now? How do we live every day? And um, how do we mature spiritually? So that's the question that we are going to answer with this togetherness. And you know what? There's a hint that God gave us right in the beginning of creation. Um, it's quite interesting. God said during creation, Genesis 1-4, God saw that the light was good. And then in day two, God said, at the end of the day, it is good. Day three, it is good. Day four, it is good. In Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. It was the sixth day. Then we see something in Genesis 2.18. The Lord said, it is not good. What was God going to say here? Remember, this is before the fall, before there was any sin. Suddenly God stops and He's teaching us something. He says, it is not good. He says in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. Why did God say that? Did He make a mistake and He said, whoops, it's not good, I made a mistake. No, God is teaching us something. He's teaching us something about community about being together. Even if we think about the triune God, it's three persons in one, and the intimacy of relationship that God has in the triune God. The fruit of the Spirit, there's another example. We all know what the fruit of the Spirit is. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. All the fruits of the Spirit has got to do with relationships, with one another. Nobody can have the fruits of the Spirit if they are stranded on an island in isolation. The fruits of the Spirit is when we are together. Okay, so today's passage is from the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a collection of sayings spoken by Jesus, and it's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 
very long sermon. Um, and it starts like this. It says, 5-1, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to, on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And this is where we get our passage for today, the one another's. Um, the teaching on the sermons of the mount are often referred to as ethics of the kingdom, or, um, and it's the emphasis is normally on the purity of heart. So please stand with me as we read today's scripture. Matthew 7, verse 1 to 12. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Father, thank you for community. Thank you that it is your grand design that you have put us together. And Father, I pray that your word will take root in our hearts. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. May we see that. Right, point one, judging others. Now, this is the most famous verse among non-Christians. Have you ever heard that? Judge not that you not be judged. Why do they say that? What is their thinking? They think that you are supposed to be tolerant and accepting of behaviors, of all behaviors, even behaviors that God explicitly forbids in the Bible. Because after all, who are you to judge? But we must notice that is not what Jesus is teaching. That's when we take the Bible out of context, right? This does not fit the message of judgment with the rest of the Bible. Remember in the beginning I said the Bible has got a meta-narrative. It's got the same message. And other places in the Bible, it speaks about judgment. And this will not contradict those teachings. John 7:23 from Jesus' lips, Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Jesus did not say don't judge because you are a sinner after all. He said, judge correctly. In other words, we must have discernment. What is discernment? 
we must know what is right and what is wrong. Discernment means to see and understand things as they really are. The ability to judge well, to know right from wrong. So we must use discernment to warn and encourage one another. But of course, not to condemn each other. This whole topic about judgment, Matthew 7, 17, by their fruit you will recognize them. Jesus is mentioning discernment. A person that has a pattern of wrong and hurtful behavior, that will help us to make decisions about that person, right? In fact, we discriminate and we judge all the time. We have to, right? I mean, when we go in our countries back home and we go vote, we discriminate. We vote for one person and not the other. Or even when uh, this week I did some interviews, I mean, there's, there's some discrimination going on. You have to choose one person only, right? So it's, 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 a, it's a normal thing. But the thing is, do we judge correctly? In Matthew 10, 16, Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus is saying, don't be naive, use discernment. Know what is right and know what is wrong. Okay, let's go back to this tolerance. I'm setting up tolerance where we say, don't judge people because you're also a sinner. Let's just accept everybody. And I'm using discernment to say we must know right from wrong. And um, right after our passage, we did verse 1 to 12. If we continued with 13 and 14, we would read, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and few find it. So Jesus said there are two paths, and we must discern and we must know right from wrong, because the one path leads to life. The other path leads to self-destruction. Now, tolerance. Tolerance will admit there's two paths. In fact, there's lots of paths. But they say you must accept both. You must love and accept people that are on both paths. But Jesus said one path leads to destruction. And in Romans 12, 9, we read, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. That's quite a contradiction. Love is sincere, so hate what is evil. You see that in the same sentence? Love is sincere, so hate what is evil and cling to what is good. The tolerant will say, we must accept everyone. But God says we must hate what is evil. So the love of the tolerant cannot be sincere because they do not hate what is evil. That actually means they don't love enough to warn people that they are on the path of destruction. And normally, you know, that's just fear of man, that they don't want to speak out. Okay, so that's what it did not mean. This verse about judge that you not be judged, that's what it doesn't mean. But what did Jesus mean? What is the correct meaning of this verse? 
Jesus was talking to Christians. He was talking to his disciples, and he was talking about Christians. He was talking about our relationship to one another, and he forbids a certain type of judgment. It's normally a, a hasty judgment, or when we condemn someone, or if we've got a spirit of being judgmental towards people. To, to judge fellow Christians the same way we would like to be judged. That's what Jesus is saying. And, um, you know, that, that's a problem we have. When someone does something wrong, we attribute motives to them. We can never see in their minds why they did something, but we always attribute motives to that. And you know what? When someone else does something wrong, we always attribute bad motives to them. But if I do something wrong, I don't attribute bad motives to myself. I, I, I brush it off. I say, you know what, I wasn't serious when I did that. Or, you know, it was a mistake. Um, you, you know, I am very quick to forgive myself when I do something wrong. But when someone else does that same thing, it's very easy to then attribute the worst motives to them or at least bad motives to them. We are, not, we are not the same. We, are not, we don't treat people the same as we treat ourselves. We see ourselves as making a mistake, being innocent, not being so bad. But we see someone else and we think, wow, that person did something bad. And the problem is self-righteousness. So we must ask God to, to help us clear this blind spot we have, this vision we have. I've even seen it, I remember when I was a child, I used to see it with parents. Um, parents would normally think, well, some parents would think, their children are the most wonderful kids. They will never do anything bad. I remember with my cousins, they were the naughtiest cousins you could ever have. <laughs> but my auntie always said, no, they, it was never them. Whenever we were naughty and we were caught out, it was me and my brothers. It was our fault. We're the bad influence. We're the bad guys. And, 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 and our cousins were always little innocent angels and stuff, right? And it's the same problem. You, you only see the fault in other people, and you can't see the fault in yourself. You can't be honest with yourself. So in this whole passage, Jesus is saying, remove that self-righteousness. Remove that prejudice that block your own vision. And when, you're, when you do that, you can be humble enough, and only then can you help your brother when they have a problem. So let's ask God to remove this prejudice that block our own vision. Because how can we see the fault in our brother's eye if our own vision is blocked? By being honest with ourselves, by being self-aware, we can clearly see to take the speck out of our brother's eye, Right? Then from verse 7 to 11, um, point 2 is, ask and it will be given. This is also a very famous verse. Very famous for the wrong reasons. Famous by the prosperity gospel. Ask and you will receive. As if God is uh, Father Christmas or genie of the lamp or something. You can just ask and God will give it. It says in the Bible, just ask and God will give it to you. But that's not what it's about. This next section, 7 to 11, is not strictly part of the one another's. It's got to do about prayer. It's when we pray to God. 
And um, Jesus is teaching his disciples how much their heavenly Father delights in them coming to him. Because in those days, the pagan world, in the Roman world, the gods were not easily pleased. And when you do pray, you know, you had to, you had to perform a lot of rituals before God would even listen to you. Um, especially in the pagan religions. They had to do all types of bad stuff just to get the attention of their God. And today, we've got another problem. We, we, we use it the other way around, that God just wants to give us gifts. And if we just ask, He will give it to us. What Jesus was teaching His disciples was that God never changes. God is never too busy to hear our prayers. God is never in a bad mood. He loves His children. And God knows how to give good gifts to His children. We can anyway in the Bible see that um, God does not just give us what we want. Because even Jesus is a perfect example of that. Do you guys remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives right before His crucifixion? He was praying and He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. And he did not get what he received. He did not, the pass did not, the cup did not pass from him. But here's the key. Jesus said, he added, yet not my will, but your will be done. And that is how we should pray. This ask and seek and knock, Jesus invites us to pray. God wants us to pray. God opens his doors for us. When we pray, God sits forward and he sits on his throne. He says, let's, let's pray, let's, let's talk, let's commune. And this heavenly father of us, that is never too busy for us, that wants us to pray, we must just realize that not our will be done, but his will. So we must pray in accordance to his will. So God is our Father who is in heaven, has a tender heart towards His children. He is never angry with us for asking. He is not too busy or bothered by our requests, however small or large they may be. All right, then we get to point number three, the, goal, the golden rule. So um, verse 12 said, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Okay, this is another famous verse for the wrong reasons. This verse is used by the same group of people who are always tolerant or they like to make um, um, morality. They, they boil morality down or all of religion, they want to boil it down to just one sentence and it's this sentence. Do to others what you want them to do to you. If you can do that, you're a good person. You're A-OK. -okay. And of course, this verse has also got to do again with one another. And it's interesting, I was looking for examples of how people use this verse incorrectly, and I, I found an amazing one. Um, President Barack Obama, in uh, 2012, um, he shifted his views on same-sex marriage. Um, when he ran for president, he was against same-sex marriage. And then in 2012, there was a movement in the United States, and it actually got passed into law, and he supported it. And um, 
when they asked him about it, he said, why did you change your views? He said, well, you know, me and the first lady, we are both practicing Christians, and obviously this position must be considered, um, is considered at odds with the views of others, but this is our view. You know, when we think of our Christian faith, the thing at root that we think about is not only that Christ sacrificed himself on our behalf, but it's also the golden rule. You know, treat others the way you would want to be treated. Okay, can you see what he did there? He said, because we want to get married, let's treat other people the same way and they want to get married. There was no discernment, there was no let's, let's use God and, or let's look at God, what does God say, what is right and wrong and judge according to that. It's just, you know what, let others do because I don't want to stand in their way because I don't want people to stand in my way. It's a complete incorrect interpretation of the golden rule. It's called moral minimalism. Like I said, that's, that's when people think, yeah, you can, you can bring all of religion down to one saying. And once, you know, if you can obey, if you can base your life on that one saying, you're okay. In the name of love, in the name of tolerance, people can take God's word and they can take it out of context. And even justify things that are against God's express will. That brings us back to Jesus' warning of the sermon, right? We must know right from wrong. It's interesting that Jesus didn't come up with the golden rule. There are other cultures, even before Jesus walked the earth, that already had this rule that said, um, don't, whatever you don't want people to do to you, don't do it to them. They, they found um, some ancient temple of some ancient king and it was all about this economic rules you know rules for trading and one of the rules was you know if you don't want people to cheat you don't cheat them and um, there was also a rabbi rabbi Hillel, and um, he was challenged by a gentile and this gentile told him you know you guys have got so many rules you don't even know if you're coming or going the jewish faith has got so many rules and, and they had this debate. And, he, and the gentile, um, he, he actually said, okay, you know what, I challenge you. I'm going to stand on my one leg. For as long as I can stand on my one leg, I want you to summarize all your rules for me. And uh, the rabbi then said, fine. What is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is just commentary. Go and learn it. So that was his answer. But do you notice there's something different between what Jesus said and sort of the, the rule in society before, before Jesus came? The rule was always don't do anything negative. If you don't want someone to cheat you, then you mustn't cheat. If you don't want someone to do something bad to you, then you mustn't do something bad. But Jesus turned it around. He said, he turned it into a positive thing. He says, whatever you want someone to do to you, do likewise. So Jesus turned it into a positive. And um, it's interesting that in doing so, Jesus made the command much more broader. 
if you think about it, it's like, um, it's like when you think of traffic. The one law says, okay, don't break any traffic laws. As long as you don't break traffic laws, you're okay. Where Jesus says, no, it's more than that. Even if you see someone who's broken down at the side of the road, if you were that person broken down at the side of the road, wouldn't you like someone to stop and help you? So can you see the difference what Jesus did? And this especially applies to us as Christians, with our Christian fellowship. We would like to feel welcome. We would like to feel loved. And we love when, when in our Bible study groups, in our small groups, when people, when we know our brothers and sisters pray for us. Shouldn't we do the same for them? That's what Jesus is saying. Be welcoming. Be good hosts. Pray for one another. Because that is what we would like people to do for us. It's interesting, he said, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus shows that this simple principle is summarized, it summarizes all the law and all the prophets, everything they have to say about relationships, how we should treat each other, can get summed up in this. So this is the ultimate one another. If we would simply treat others the way we would want to be treated, we would naturally obey all that the law says about relationships with other people. Spurgeon had this to say. We've quoted Charles Spurgeon quite a few times um, uh, um, here at New Life Church, and this is what he had to say about the golden rule. He says, Oh, that all men acted on it, and there would be no slavery, there would be no war, no swearing, no striking, no lying, no robbing but all would be justice and love. What a kingdom is this which has such a law? Now, this law is quite easy to understand, but um, it's not so easy to obey. No one has ever consistently done unto others as they would like others to do to them. God's plan is for us to mature as Christians, to mature spiritually and to bear with one another, to pray for one another, to honor one another and to love one another. Let's ask God to help us at New Life Church to build a true culture of this one another, of love to one another of this Jesus-type care that we should have for one another. I want to conclude with uh, John 13, 35, what Jesus had to say. He said, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Thank you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Father, the mystery of relationships. Father, I pray that we will care for one another, that you will kindle the love for one another, for our brothers and sisters, that we would go the extra mile, Father, that we would think of them during the day, during the night, that we would pray for each other, that we would reach out to one another, that we might ask how can I help you? 
But Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for New Life Church. Thank you that this church, my brothers and sisters in this church, wants to glorify your name. They want to live for you alone. And I pray that you will please grant us, grant us peace. Please bless us. Please bless this church. Ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.